listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, Northside, I pray and hope that you had a, a good Thanksgiving break and weekend. And of course, regardless of whether it was good or not, Thanksgiving is a great reminder of how we ought to approach every day with a spirit of gratitude. We ought to be more thankful. In fact, thankfulness is, there's no greater impacting attitude than thankfulness on our lives. And so it is a a good reminder, I think every year, for us just to, to come at life with some more gratitude and thankfulness. And I've got something today, just in case you need some help on that, um, a reason to be grateful to be incredibly thankful today. Because on this day, November, uh, in this month of November, we want to honor someone who's been with us for many years. In fact, today, we are going to honor right now our financial administrator, Helen Myers. A lot of you probably know Helen. For 32 years of work here at Northside Christian Church. 32 years. Just praising God for that, celebrating that. Uh, so, um, just so you know, she began working at Northside in 1990 and she started working on Mondays to help cover the office. And then she started, she became, uh, our senior minister, Ed Holt, uh, became his administrative assistant there in the office and was doing all, all kinds of things, uh, for Ed and including for a long period of time, dictating sermons. I mean, she did it all. Um, she, she probably wrote them too, but I'm not sure about that. I know she dict- he dictated and she typed and then she probably wrote them sometimes, but, um, I came in 1994, and I remember Ed saying, "Hey, if you know if you need anything, any assistance, you know, uh, you can use Helen, you know, as, as you need." And apparently, I used her a little too much because Ed uh, came up to me one day and he says, "Hey, we're all equal around here, but some of us are more equal than others, so you need to find your own administrative assistant." Apparently, I was using her a little too much, so uh, we did do that. Uh, Phyllis came at that time, but but Helen has just been a rock star for our church. And she has served in our office and worked in so many different roles. She's our financial administrator working part-time for us right now. And uh, just is, is one of the most efficient people you will ever meet. Even on a Sunday morning right now, she does all of our, like my slides that will come up here in a minute. Even the pictures I'm going to show of her here in a minute. She put those in there. That's what she does every Sunday morning. Comes here before anyone else and just make sure that happens. And and uh, it's incredible. She worked for our children's ministry team for a period of time. She's just kind of had her hand in about everything around here. It's been pretty amazing and incredible. And, uh, and so uh, I'm, as Pat and Helen come up here, I want to show a few pictures on the screen up here so you can see these. This is Helen typing right here. This is, you know, sometime around 1990, 91. This was the only computer Northside owned at the time. That's it right there on the screen. Um, we now have 45 PCs, 10 Macs, and I don't know how many tablets throughout this entire building. Uh, so things are a little different. Uh, back when Helen was on this computer, it was WordPerfect 5.1. When Helen was on this computer, um, when she logged into the internet, it sounded like... And so it was AOL, you got mail. It was that era of life uh, that she came to work for us. Um, this is a pic of Helen wearing her happy holiday shirt because she's festive that way around the office there um, doing that. Uh, and then this picture here is her with, uh, or, or is it going to rotate our pictures? They may have gotten stuck. 
Uh, there we go. Happy holidays, Helen. And then let's go to this next one real quick because uh, Helen was always, it seemed like she was somehow made it into many of our outreach brochures back in the day. Ed would be like, hey, Helen, come out here. And then she'd find herself in a picture. And she, she is there with a soccer ball with Craig Vanivert. If you know Craig now, like all six feet seven of him or something, uh, if he ever sits in front of you during worship, just move, change seats. Um, and next to Craig is, is uh, Patrick, her son, there. And uh, so anyway, that, that's that. And then we got a picture of Helen with her son, Patrick. And so this was after one of our home team events. When I was in youth ministry, we did some parent teen events together. And uh, so we got a, a pic of them together. And then this pic here, here is Pat Myers, her husband, leading worship. This was the dynamic duo of Northside back in the day when I first came. It was like, it was Pat and Helen. Helen's on the piano doing what she does. Pat, you can see him, the hand is raised. And the hand is raised, not praising, but it was, it was counting it out. That's what he was doing right there with the overhead projector. He could do both at the same time. How many of you can do this and I can't even do it and that at the same time without getting off? Pat could do it. And so uh, they did worship for us all the time. It was incredible. In fact, Helen has played piano for us. She's still playing piano for us. Helen has played piano in this church for 50 years. When she was 14, yeah, it was incredible. She was uh, 14 or 15 years of age when she started playing for opening exercises of Sunday morning before Sunday school. Two songs. Helen was, was pounding it out, and she's still pounding it out. So we're excited. Like, why don't you guys come on over here for a second? And I just uh, want to say a couple things about Pat and Helen. Um, we're celebrating 32 years. Does that seem weird? 32? And you're like, why 32? Okay, I'm just going to tell you why 32. Because Helen is the one who every year comes to me and says, okay, Wayne, this year it's so-and-so's 10-year anniversary of church. Oh, okay. She keeps track of this kind of stuff. Helen does that. No one else does. Not me, no one else. Helen. And so this year we're talking in my office there and uh, we're talking about anniversary. She says, oh, this year is Lori Weaver's 10-year anniversary here at Northside. We're like, oh, okay. We need to recognize her. Thank you. We already did that on Lori's 10-year anniversary. We did that this year. Recognize her, honor her for 10 years of ministry. And then while we're in my office, I was like, Helen, when's yours? Like, when's your anniversary? She's like, two years ago. I'm like, Helen, you've got to be kidding me. What, what are we on? She's like, well, it's been 32 years. So we missed her 30th anniversary. And then I was sitting there thinking, and probably her 20th anniversary. So uh, as you can see, some of us are better at keeping track of this stuff than others. So we said, we're going to celebrate November. This is her 32nd year of working at Northside Christian Church in all these facets and ways. So here's what we're doing. We've got, her, we got Pat and Helen a four-night stay at Big Cedar Lodge as a gift from all of us at the church for their ministry. And we want to give them. And uh, it's possible... Pat may have the one from nine o'clock service in his pocket, so you can't add him. It's not eight, it's, it's still four. But, uh, and a point setter for you guys. And church, can we just express our appreciation to Helen and to Pat for all their work in ministry? Praise God for that. Love you guys. Love you too. Thanks, man. Love you, buddy. <laughs> There's just some things that you just got to be grateful and thankful for, and that's an easy one. Just so appreciative of, of Pat and Helen and, and all the incredible work. So thank you for letting us do that. Well, I, I just want to mention uh, uh, Chris Galanos, tell you something at Chris Galanos, a story he shared. Uh, it was in his book, Multiplication, Megachurch Multiplication. 
in which he talked about a time when, when their whole staff team and their leadership team wanted to have a focused time of prayer, a focused time of fasting, a focused time of going into their community where there was lostness and brokenness to help people know Jesus. They called it push week. They wanted to have a whole week where they just really pushed into the community to help people know Jesus, to to help make disciples. And, And so they really geared up for this. And the number one way they did that was through prayer. They, Chris says that they prayed together for two hours on Sunday uh, evening, their, their staff team and leaders. And then they prayed for another four hours on Monday together and they fasted all day Monday. And then for the next four days, starting on Tuesday, they began to go into their community. And he tells a story of how he and, and their financial administrator, his name was Phil, uh, began to go to some apartment complexes in their community. And they began to knock on doors and just tell people, hey, we, we're praying for people in this apartment today. We'd love to pray for you. Is there something we can pray about? They said, you know, people were, were overwhelmingly receptive. You know, most people were receptive to them. Not all, but most. And as they knocked on doors, they came to one door that they knocked on and opening the door was Casey. And when Casey opened the door, they said to her, we're here to pray for people today. We want to know, could, could we pray for you? And she just looked at them and said, you're not going to believe this. And they said, what? She said, I was just talking to my mom the other day. And I said, mom, we have got, we've got to find a way to get closer to God. Like our, their lives felt they're so far away from God and felt broken. And said, we got to find a way to be closer to God. And she said that afternoon, I think it was that next afternoon, she went to her room and she actually said something like this. God, God, if you're real and if you care about my family, Would you send me a sign that you're real and that you care? She prayed that on the afternoon. That very next morning, Chris and Phil come to the door knocking. We're praying for people. Can we pray for you? And she said to them, you are that sign. You're that sign from God. Chris said she was more than open to prayer and, and told them all the things that she would want prayer for. And they prayed with her and talked with her and just saw how open she was. And they said to her, you know, could, could, would you like to start with your family or your friends a discovery Bible study together? We, we could come together. We could study God's word to see who God is and his plan and purpose for your life. You know, would you be interested in that? And she's like, yeah, yes, she'd be interested in that. She's like, I, and I know who I would invite. She started telling who she invite. My mom, she will want to come because we talked about this. I know my mom will want to come. And I've got a, a neighbor that I want to invite too. And, she's, and that guy standing out the door, she saw a guy walking on the sidewalk. He'll come. She'll come. I'll invite him. And she started t- naming all the people, family and friends that she would invite to come to this. And at the time of his writing, they were all starting to get together and meet and come together. And here's what Chris, as he told that story, talked about. He said, you know, when, when Matthew, I mean, when Jesus said in Matthew 9 that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, he just realized in that moment that Casey was the harvest Jesus was talking about. She was spiritually open. She was spiritually receptive. She was ready to receive the gospel if somebody just presented it to them. And she was just waiting for them to show. It's just that the workers were few. But the minute that they went and they knocked on her door, it was evident that that was a divine appointment where Jesus was putting them together. She was just waiting for someone to come, waiting for workers to come. She said, Casey never came to Chris's church. She hadn't come. She was never going to come. But that's why Jesus said the workers are supposed to go into the harvest field. Not that the harvest field would come to them. They were to go to the harvest field. And Chris did it. And when he did it, he found someone ready. And Chris, the church planter, the lead minister of that church, 
that Casey never came to. He said, can I be honest? I felt more like a worker in Jesus' harvest field that day than I ever had in my entire life. He said, in those four days alone, our four teams were able to have 424 spiritual conversations and extend 121 invitations into a discovery Bible study group of which 29 actual new groups started because we prayed, because we fasted, because we intentionally went and we just saw what God would do with people willing to go into the harvest field. You know, today we come to this final sermon in the series that we've entitled, Do What Jesus Did. And as we come to this final sermon, I want us to really reflect on this and what's happening. I would like to see Northside in the, in the near future have our own push week as well. Chris also told the story of, of how Hermie, who was part of a, of a movement in California, he was on staff with City Team there in California, and he said in 2018, he said in the last six years, from 2012 to 2018, they had seen more than 120,000 disciples made in over 11,000 groups, churches that were started. And it happened right there in America, but it, it spread beyond America because people who were there who became followers and disciples of Jesus were going back to their countries, especially Central America, where a number of them were from, and they were starting movements there. And, and the kingdom was expanding, the gospel was expanding, churches were growing. And Hermes said... What set those replicating disciples apart from just other ordinary believers, regular believers, is the ecosystem they were creating where they were intentional. They were being very intentional to germinate and develop a root system where they receive water and nutrients to grow and bear fruit that results in transformation and disciple making. They create an environment where that was going to happen. And some of the things that they did to create that environment was those people were involved regularly in Bible reading. Most of them, every single day, they were engaging the scriptures. That's why this year we've been trying to do a year of Bible engagement. They were engaging the Bible regularly. But not just to learn content. It was to apply what they learned. And not just apply it and obey it and start doing it. But with the intention to share it with someone else. Every single week. Whatever they learned, whatever they heard, whatever God was revealing to them. They made a decision. They would share it with someone else that week. What God was revealing to them. And they would do that in the context of a community, a group of people gathering together that eventually would form a church and this community would hold each other accountable to those things. And they would be accountable to those things. And then they would love and serve one another in that group. And then they would intentionally go love and serve their community and the needs that were out there. And by replicating that over and over again, these groups multiplied and they multiplied fast and they multiplied far. And one of the questions that I'm wanting us to look at today and ask on this day is, who provides a biblical example or model for us to follow when it comes to making disciples? Who's somebody that actually gives a model? We could look at what they did, how they did it, so that we could do it like that. Yeah, there may be some differences here and there, but who actually gives us a method of what it would look like? And today, I want us to look at the method of the Apostle Paul. He wrote the majority of books in our New Testament. He was, he's considered one of the greatest church planters, missionaries ever, who's ever lived. And all the ingredients are there when you look at his life to see what it looks like to make disciples. If we would just look at what he did and models of things he did, it would have an incredible impact. And so today, here's what I want to invite you into. 
I want to invite you into a, a process today where we look at Paul's missionary journeys, all three of them. We're going to cover the entire book of Acts in the minutes we have remaining. This is going to be a 1,000 foot view where we look down at what Paul did, where he went, and how he did it. We're going to be moving very quickly. I, I honestly would just say today I'm probably more of a teacher than a preacher. Because we're going to look at a lot of content, a lot of content you will not remember. But that's okay. That's not the point. It's, it's going to be a lot of content that you don't remember. But you can always come back to this. In fact, you, you can even get out your, your phones right now and take pictures of slides if you want. We're, we're, we're more willing to even send you these slides. And there's tons more of slides than I even, even began to even try to put on in this message. But my prayer is that we would go through this and we'd walk through and look at this overview and that you would say, wow, wow. I mean, that's every preacher's dream, right? After they're done preaching, people just say, wow. No, that's not what I'm saying. This is not an egotistical thing. Say, wow, the preaching. I want you to look at what Paul did, what God did through Paul and go, wow. And then immediately follow that up with how. How did that happen? In fact, you can, you can do both at the same time. But always start with wow. Wow, how, wow, how, wow, how. Because if you do that, then I'll be happy. But not entirely happy. Because if you just go wow, how, and that's it, but you don't do it, then we're not going to even begin to understand. And so I just want us to look at the book of Acts. And Carter Cox, he was speaking to Dr. George Robinson's class at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary years ago. And you can find him on YouTube. And he laid out the pathway of Paul's missionary journeys, where he went, you know, when did he go, to whom did he go. And he had all these slides put together that I just think are fantastic and tons of them. And I've selected some of those and I'm going to use them here in a moment on our screen. And when you go through this, it's just mind boggling what Paul did in the amount of time he did it. But then it's mind boggling to realize this is being replicated around the world if we do things the way he did it. And so maybe you've got your Bible. You can just go with this through the book of Acts. If you've got your phone, you can try to do it. It's going to be harder to try to flip through that a little bit. But I just want us to walk quickly through this. And so when you look on the screen here, you're going to see Paul's church planting journeys. This is just an overview of, of his journeys and kind of where he went and what the map looks like. And it just shows that, you know, in AD 100, around 65 million people made up the entire Roman population, the Roman Empire. But from... Rome, to your left in Italy over there, down to Jerusalem, down here in the bottom right, from Rome to Jerusalem, there was probably about 25 to 30 million people that comprised that whole region of the world. And that was Paul's task. That's who he was trying to reach. That's the lostness he was going after. And so the church starts in Jerusalem, in the bottom right corner of the screen. But Jesus wanted that church to to go beyond Jerusalem. We know that because in Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, that's that's the mission. He was he, he was just repeating what even God said in Genesis 1, 28, when he told him to be fruitful and fill the earth. Jesus wanted them to fill the earth with followers of Jesus, with disciple makers. And so up to this point, The disciples had only pretty much done Jerusalem and and Judea for the most part. That's where they had gone. And that was in Acts 1.8. They hadn't yet got outside to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, we read that a great persecution broke out against the church. 
a persecution against the church in Jerusalem. We know who did that persecution because Paul, who we're talking about, was Saul who persecuted the church. And in verse 4, it says, those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. One person said it this way, if you don't Acts 1-8 and become witnesses throughout the world, God will Acts 8-1 you and get you there one way or the other. If you don't Acts 1-8, God will Acts 8-1 you and... That's kind of what happens to the early church. Persecution drives them into all these other places. It's Saul that's doing the persecuting. Somehow Saul is even involved in in the spreading of the gospel in the church, even before he's a believer. Of course, he's an enemy of God and lost and broken. He's going house to house persecuting people. And in Acts chapter 11, 19 through 21, we read this. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. <coughs> Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So I just want us to look here really quick at, at, back at this, this church planning overview. Because in Acts chapter 11, the result of Paul's persecution is people go to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. And then it says that some men from Cyprus and Cyrene go to the Greeks in Antioch, which is up here in, in, in Syria. They go to Antioch. And so the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to check it out. And so Barnabas goes to the, from Jerusalem, this new church in Antioch, and be like, hey, what's going on? And he sees what's happening. He's excited. He goes down to Tarsus and gets Saul, who's been there for 14 years, now as a believer in the Lord, to come back with him to Antioch to help this church become a healthy church to teach them for a year. And so Saul and Barnabas go back, and they go there to Antioch. And uh, they, they go to Jerusalem, report, and they go back to Antioch and take John Mark to go with them. And in Acts 13, we read that while Saul, now Paul, Barnabas, it's, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Saul now becomes the first missionary, he and Barnabas, sent out from a church to go into the world. He goes on three missionary journeys, which we're going to cover. Right now, we're going to look at the first journey. Here's his first journey. Just look at what he does. In Acts chapters 13 through 14, we see his first journey. This is a two-year period of time. It's from 47 AD to 49 AD. The primary region is Galatia and Cyprus. You see it highlighted in the yellow. And the cities with new churches that came because of this were at least five-plus cities that, that heard the gospel and formed churches. Paul first goes to Cyprus, which is in that island right there in the Mediterranean Sea. It's there when Bar-Jesus, the magician, tries to turn Sergius, who had shown interest in the gospel, away from the Lord. And when that, when Paul saw that and it was happening, he's trying to turn him away from the Lord, Paul prays that he would be blind. And he goes blind. How often have you prayed, God, just make them blind? You think, man, that's pretty cruel. That's kind of messed up. Until you realize, how did Paul come to see the truth when he was on the road to Damascus and he was going to persecute Christians and Jesus blinded him? So he could become more aware of who Jesus was. As a result of that exchange and what happened, the proconsul Sergius comes to believe in Jesus. 
And then in Acts 13 through 14, Paul goes to Pisidian Antioch. That's the top left inside of of the yellow highlight that you see there. And there from Pisidian Antioch, many followed. But the next Sabbath, the Jews that opposed Paul's message are opposing him. And so he quotes to them Isaiah 49 that says, It's too small a thing to just save Jacob. Did you say these tribes of Israel? God made them a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul is revealing to these Jews that live there, it's the heart of God that every person be saved, that everybody come to repentance. It's not just for the Jews. It's to go everywhere to the Gentiles as well. And so Paul starts proclaiming big time the gospel to the Gentiles. And they start spreading the word through that whole region. Paul goes to Iconium. Jews and Greeks believe. But there's some Jews that start persecuting Paul there. So he goes to Lystra in chapter 14. And and, and Jews come from Antioch and they rile everybody up. And they stone Paul at Lystra and leave him for dead. It says the disciples gather around him and he gets back up. We think it's a resurrection. And he goes back into the city and then he goes to Derbe. And then in Acts chapter 14, beginning of verse 21, we read that, that Paul revisits each city. He goes back to every one of those cities to, to see the disciples that he now calls churches. So they've been formed into churches. He goes back to see all these churches. Everywhere he goes, he, he leaves a church. And there in those churches, he appoints leaders and commits them to the Lord. So he's raising up leaders once these churches are formed. And he's releasing them to do ministry. And then in chapter 14, at verse 26 and following, we read that, that, that it, it's in that time frame that he writes the, the letter to the Galatians, to these first churches. It's circulated after 49 AD, after he wrote it. But, but he says in Galatians, that, that book there, you know, who, to the Jews, who's bewitched you? Who's bewitched you? Because some Jews have come in saying you have to be circumcised to be a Christian. He's like, you're not saved by law, you're saved by grace. Not by keeping this law and who's steering you away from the Lord and you begin to see that even these new churches that are formed it's messy and they have to find truth and prevent false teaching from coming in and there's still a church even though it's messy even though they're not perfect and that's Paul's two-year missionary journey after that first journey is complete We read about his second journey. It's in Acts chapter 15 through 18. And here in Paul's second journey, it's it's, uh, from A.D. 49 to 52. It's about three to four years, this second journey. It's mostly Macedonia and Achaia, which you see highlighted in yellow on the left. But before he gets there, he goes back to all the churches you see in the green, where he had formed churches there. And so Paul takes Silas, Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go to those cities to strengthen the church. And he goes back through Syria, Cilicia. Uh, then in green, you can see the picture. There. He goes to Derby, Lystra. Timothy comes onto the scene at Lystra because that's where Timothy's from. He joins Paul's team. Then they go to Iconium. And Acts 16 says the churches were increasing greatly. They were multiplying. In fact, they were increasing daily. Then we read in verse 6 of Acts 16 that they try to go to Bithynia. Bithynia, you see that there uh, just above Asia, to the left of the green there. They try to go to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit prevents them from going there, to going, from going into Asia. We don't know how or why, but the Holy Spirit prevented them from going there to Asia on this trip. They, they, they weren't allowed to. So they go around Bithynia over to Troas, and they're there on the, beside Asia, to the left of Asia. There's, it, it's, it's a seaport city. 
And there, in the book of Acts, all of a sudden, the pronoun changes as Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, who's saying they, 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 starts saying we. And so Luke joins them there. Some people, let some people just think maybe Luke was from there. Others say, no, he's probably from Macedonia, but, but some thought maybe he was from there. He joins the team. And it's there, in Acts 16, 9 through 10, that Paul has a vision. And in this vision, there's this man in Macedonia that's calling out, crying out for help for him to come. And Paul now knows where God wants him to go. He wants him to go into Macedonia. That's where he wants him to go. And so Paul begins to go that direction. And the first place he goes is to Philippi. It's interesting that that area of Philippi, still known as the gateway to Europe, It was by going to Macedonia, to Philippi, that many historians will say that's how the gospel came to Europe and to the Western world. It was because Paul went to Philippi there in Macedonia. So he goes to Philippi and there he ends up seeing a a slave girl who was demon-possessed. A woman named Lydia who dealt with purple cloth, an expensive cloth. And then a jailer who he encounters while he's in prison and through God's miraculous hand comes out of prison. But that jailer comes to Christ. And so Paul's vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come, you know, little does he know it's going to lead him to a slave girl, demon-possessed, a, a seamstress with purple cloth, and then a, a jailer. That's who the gospel came to. You know, if you ever start a story and say, once upon a time, there was a demon-possessed slave girl and a seamstress and a jailer, you know, your parents might say, hey, don't tell any inappropriate jokes here, you know, not here. You're like, no, I'm talking about the church. That that was the church of Philippi. That's who comprise, talk about people who couldn't be more different. They formed that church in Philippi. And then Paul leaves, and he leaves for Thessalonica. He's, He's only there for three weeks, but he finds Jason, a person of peace, who gets... He ends up getting prosecuted and persecuted because he's receiving the news from Paul. And then Paul goes to Berea, and, and there the Jews are more eager to hear. In fact, they study the Scriptures and examine them. It says day and night to see if what Paul is saying is true. And then he leaves Timothy and Silas to stay in Berea and Thessalonica, and Paul goes to Athens. So he's developing leaders along the way. You stay here, you work with them. And he goes to Athens where he then gives that famous gospel presentation to the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. And some sneer and some want to hear more. And some actually become believers and join Paul. And then they go to Corinth. And Timothy and Silas rejoin him. He stays in Corinth for a year and a half. And we begin to see kind of how Paul operates here. We're now in Acts chapter 18. I've just covered 18 chapters of Acts. Isn't that amazing? So now we're in Acts chapter 18. And it says, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and he went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader. I mean, the one that Paul left. And his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. When Paul faces rejection, last week we talked about the red light, yellow light, green light. When he faced a red light, he just moved on and went to someone else. And he went next door to a person of peace who was interested, wanted to learn more, wanted to have others gather. And the synagogue ruler, when he sees, sees Paul leave, he's like, I think I want to know more. He goes and he becomes a believer. He and his whole household comes to faith. And that's the start of the church in Corinth. It's the longest place Paul would stay to date. 
One and a half years, he stays there. Then if you keep looking at the slide here of his second journey, he starts writing a letter to Thessalonica and First and Second Thessalonians is written during this time. And a church is started in three Sabbath days. And in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-8, Paul says, the Thessalonian church was a model for all the churches in that whole region to follow as they were hearing about their faith, their faith in the Lord. Paul sends Timothy back to check on them. He, he, Paul, Paul then brings Priscilla and Aquila with him who he discipled over one and a half years in Corinth, and he drops them off in Ephesus. There, Apollos comes down, and he gets more teaching from Priscilla and Aquila that Paul had been investing in them. And they're mobilized. Apollos is then mobilized to go to Corinth. And Paul goes to Jerusalem, then he goes back to Antioch, and then he beelines for Ephesus for the third journey. So we just covered his second journey. Now we get to his third journey. Acts chapters 18 through 21 cover this third journey. It's from about AD 52 to 57. It's around four to six years. The primary region is Asia, Ephesus. Cities with, with new churches, about eight plus cities here find new churches because of this journey. And notice the highlight in yellow is in Asia, the place where he was prevented from going in the second journey. We don't know why, why he was prevented from going there. But now he gets to go there. And he starts spreading the gospel. In Ephesus, he finds disciples of John that are proclaiming John's gospel. But when they hear about the Holy Spirit in Christ, they believe and they're baptized. And Paul invests in those 12 guys. In Acts chapter 19, verse 7, it tells us there's, there were 12 guys in all. Kind of interesting how Jesus had his 12 and now Paul has his 12. And so there Paul is working with those 12 guys. And we get to Acts 19, 8 through 10. And it tells us that Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and they publicly maligned the way. So Paul left him. He left him. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. He basically speaks at the synagogue for the same amount of time I've been speaking to you through this whole series, do what Jesus did. They reject it. So then he goes to a lecture hall and he begins to teach there for two years. And the text says, all the Jews and Greeks in the province of Asia, they heard the word of the Lord. Now that province of Asia, we're talking at least 2 million people. Carter Cox thinks there could have been upwards of 5 million people reached in those two years. But Paul's talking about the number of people that would have encountered the gospel. He didn't do it himself. He was raising up churches and leaders and disciples and sending them out, and they were doing it. But he's starting churches. In fact, in this third missionary journey, in Acts 18 through 21, we'll come back to this picture. In Asia right there, this slide doesn't have all the churches uh, that I'm going to read to you right now in that slide. But all of these churches are there in Asia and during that two-year period of time is likely when all of these churches were started, which is the, the seven of these churches are who Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation. The letter is written to these seven churches of Asia. Churches like Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Those were all started during his third journey. And it's interesting to note that only two of those churches are healthy. Smyrna is healthy because they faced persecution and were faithful through it. And Philadelphia was faithful because they followed God's word closely. 
but the other ones were not healthy. And Jesus was rebuking them and telling them to repent, which just goes to show you planting churches, starting churches, working with people, broken people, it's messy. There is no such thing as, as, as a perfect church. There wasn't in the early church, there isn't now. It's messy. And yet, what we see is John in Revelation and now Paul in his letters, he's writing these churches, calling them to repent, to come back to the Lord. And so that's what they're doing. While in Ephesus, he's writing letters back and forth to Corinth to get them healthy. He mobilizes a couple of disciples to Macedonia. He goes to look for Titus, which is now a 20-year relationship because, because uh, Titus came to Christ in Tarsus when Paul was there for those 14 years. And then Paul from Corinth writes a letter to Romans. And he sends it with Phoebe to the church in Rome. And he writes something very profound. In fact, everything that I've said up to this point in this message is pointing to this. I've shared everything I've shared because I want us to see this. This is that moment that makes me just go, wow. You have all the background. You have the big picture of the journeys that Paul went on and where he went throughout the Roman Empire. But it's this text from Romans that makes you say, wow. This is incredible. This sums up the impact of Paul's ministry. And it should inspire you. Inspire you to say, I, I want to be a part of what God is doing in this world. I want to make disciples. I want to see God do that in our lifetime. Because in Romans 15, beginning verse 17, Paul, Paul writes, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power and signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem, all the way around to Lyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place... For me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. I want you to look at this slide right here because this is what it's revealing to us. Paul is saying from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I can't even say it, I always have to read it because I can't even say it, Uh, to Illyricum which is all the way in the upper left there on the other far side of Macedonia, which we don't have any evidence that Paul ever actually visited there personally. He could have. The closest we know is Thessalonica. We know he was there. That was close. Maybe he did or maybe he sent disciples there. Maybe he helped start a church there. But, but he says from Jerusalem all the way to that part. So from that part of the Roman Empire, that region of the world, he says, I have fully proclaimed the gospel. And so he's saying... There is no place left where he hasn't proclaimed that gospel. From Jerusalem all the way through to Macedonia, there's nowhere else for him to work in these regions. He has plans to go to Spain, the western limit of the Roman Empire. He only makes it to Rome as far as we know. So he didn't get to get exactly as far as he wanted to go. But for him to say... There is nowhere else for him to work in this region is saying that 25 to 30 million people from Jerusalem to Rome 
had a good chance to hear the gospel in less than 15 years. I want you to think about that. That's a wow. 25 to 30 million people from Jerusalem to Rome had a good chance to hear the gospel in less than 15 years by him entering, sharing the gospel, making disciples, forming churches, raising up leaders who reproduce the process. It's just insane, amazing to think of how that transpired. And when you get to Acts chapter 20 in your Bibles, they returned through Macedonia to Troas, accompanied by numerous leaders. There's a chance they could have been at Luke's house, if that's where he was from. And there, Paul preaches all night long. Well into the night, he preaches. In fact, the text kind of indicates he went on and on. I'm not the only preacher that preaches long, just so you know. And when Paul preached, Eutychus fell out the window and died. I've never had that happen yet on my preaching watch. Although someone's probably fallen asleep before. I know what this is like. I I get so tired. When I'm driving and it starts to get late at night, and who knows when it's going to happen. I could go all night or sometimes I'm driving and all of a sudden it gets late at night and it just hits me. And it's just like, like I'm hitting a wall. And my wife can tell you, and I'm, I'm drinking caffeine and I'm eating stuff and, you know, I'm shaking my legs. I'm slapping myself in the face, trying to wake up as I drive. And typically there's just so many times it just reaches that point. She's just like, pull over. I can't take it anymore. I pull over. She drives. And if I just get in a short nap, I'm good. But man, it just reached that point. I, I can't do it. I, I would be Eutychus. I would be that guy falling out the window. But you just, you just follow this survey through the book of Acts and, and what you begin to see is, is that Paul had leaders in every one of these areas where the gospel is spreading. So when you even look at this map and you see all these places with leaders, and he's got Silas with him in Jerusalem and Sopater, the Berean, and Aristarchus and Secondus and Thessalonica and Gaius from Derby and Timothy from Lystra and Tychicus and Trophimus from Ephesus or Asia and possibly even Luke there from his region. And so when Paul says there's no place left, he's not doing all of this himself. I mean, he's got leaders he's raised up and other people who are doing this, and other disciples that are accomplishing this and other churches that are accomplishing this. And, and you just survey through the book of Acts and the epistles and we see over 100 leaders connected to Paul that he's leading and discipling in some way. In Ephesians 20, he's giving a farewell address to the elders. And he gives them this awesome exhortation knowing he's going to die because of the gospel in prison. And then he goes to Jerusalem. And then in Acts 21, he goes to Rome. And it's just incredible that Paul could say in less than 15 years that there's no place left. He was reaching that entire known world. And he raised up leaders who would carry on the work. And it's just this incredible model for us to follow. It doesn't mean that you have to make that same journey and go to all those same places. It just means, what if we just did what Paul did? And we enter into lost places. He said, but the gospel wasn't there yet, not with those people. And he would share the gospel and make disciples and form them into a church where they start studying the word of God together. And, and then they would multiply and there would be another one that would be started. And when you look at Paul's journeys, all that he did, it's just amazing. All of the places, all the cities, all of the churches that came to know Jesus. And the reason this is so powerful for us today is to realize, you know, if we follow the model of Jesus to make disciples, which we've been talking about for weeks, and if we follow the model of Paul to make disciples, which we've been talking about for weeks, and this one we've given the big picture overview of this, 
That means ordinary people like you, like me, working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, whatever it is for you, can make disciples and you can form churches and raise up leaders and be a part of this. You can do this. These new believers were doing this. Some of them have been believers for only a matter of weeks or months when they're actually helping to lead churches. Sometimes the way we do church can make it so complicated. One person said it this way, it will cost you zero dollars to pray for lost people. And it will cost you zero dollars to share the gospel. And it'll cost you zero dollars to disciple new believers. And it will cost you zero dollars to start a church in someone's home who comes to Christ. And it will cost you zero dollars to raise up new leaders. And it will cost you zero dollars to do all of these things. But it will cost you your life. It will cost you everything you have. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your energy. It will cost you your strength and your emotions. It will cost you to see the task finished. It will cost you much. But it may not cost you the things you think it's going to cost you. And this is the task at hand for us too until the gospel goes to every place, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Which is what Jesus said must happen before he returns. Because gathered around his throne will be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's not going to happen unless we get the gospel there. Jesus left a model to follow. Paul left a model to follow. There are others that are leaving models for us to follow. Even in America here who are doing disciple-making movements here and around the world. And the reason this is so important is because this is the will of Jesus for each and every one of us. There is only one time in Scripture when it says that Jesus was full of joy in the Holy Spirit. Where he was just full of joy in the Holy Spirit. And it's in Luke 10 when he sent out the 70 to go, these disciples to go and to, to expand the kingdom. And when they come back and they're rejoicing because they saw the kingdom advancing. Jesus was full of joy. It even says that Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning. Why? Because the people he had equipped were going out and they were making disciples of others. That's what brings him joy. He wasn't trying to reach the world. He was raising up disciples who would reach the world. So when we do that, when we do what Jesus did, when we do what Paul did, when we do what Jesus has called us to do, it will bring absolute joy to his heart. Jesus went to such great lengths for the gospel to come to you. Paul went to such great lengths for the gospel to come to you. What lengths would you go to? What would it take for us to reach our known world? In fact, here's a good question to think about. How long would it take for you to win the world to Christ if you led 1,000 people to Christ every single day? How long would it take you to win the world to Christ if you led one person to Christ every single day? Here's how long it would take you. 17,534 years if no one else is born. But if you made one reproducing disciple every six months, if you made just one reproducing disciple every six months, a disciple who then made a disciple who made a disciple who made a disciple every six months, it would take 17 years to reach the world. This is how Jesus did it. It's how Paul did it. It's how we could do it. And so I want you to just take a moment. And I want you to reflect on some things here. Just some next steps you can take. If I'd like for you to just take a moment, even quietly, silently to yourself. You can just close your eyes and just really reflect on the Lord right now. And just ask this question. Where's one place you could go this week with intentionality to share the gospel? Where's one place? You could go this week, just one, 
where you could share with intentionality the gospel. Share your testimony, share God's story, pray for somebody to see the gospel go there. And let God just begin to reveal to you where you could go. just ask right now for God to give you the boldness and the courage and the heart of Jesus to go. Lord Jesus, we have been invited to participate in the most thrilling, exciting mission there is on planet Earth. And God, I thank you for the model that we have in the Apostle Paul, what he did for his faith and for his efforts and the way he followed in the footsteps of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would do. We would do what they did. I pray you give us the wisdom, give us the strength, give us the opportunities, give us the courage. Lord, give us the heart of the Father. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people say, amen. As you stand to your feet this morning, I, I just want to mention a couple things. One is uh, we're going to have a disciple-making training on January 15th. We'd love to invite you to come. It's at 2.30. Maybe you want to put that in your phone right now. January 15th, 2.30, disciple-making training. And I also just want to say, if you're in this room today and you're ready to begin a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you want to become a part of this church family, or you just want prayer, for something that you're dealing with. We want to do that now. I'll meet you right over here at Decision Point. And if you're watching online, just go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. And that'll begin a conversation with us as we make disciples and become who God has created us to be. Let's make that our prayer as we sing. And I'll meet you right over here. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.